As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, Amen. I'm ready to preach after that music. Thank you. <laughs> I'm trying to cut my sermon down, but now maybe I have to make it a little longer. Just keep the Word of God going here. But it's wonderful to be here. Uh, Christ the Redeemer, of course, is my home. Uh, it's nice to see those of you I know, and also nice to see those of you I don't know, which means that the Holy Spirit is still drawing people uh, to Jesus Christ here in this church. So uh, thank you, Father Tim, for letting me be part of the service tonight and for asking me to help with this sermon series. Uh, when I first became a Christian, I was living in Portland, Maine, uh, and I had to figure out, well, I guess if I'm a Christian, I need to go to church somewhere. And as a child growing up, I'd always gone, whenever we were sent to church, about three times a year, to a congregational church. Uh, and through some rather odd and faulty theological thinking, uh, but wonderful result, I ended up understanding that I needed to go to the Episcopal Church. And the nearest Episcopal Church to me in Portland was the Cathedral Church of St. Luke, a wonderful, uh, big structure. Uh, and I went there, and immediately I fell in love with the worship. I fell in love and was drawn in to worship God, uh, in the liturgical worship of that church they were using in 1977, the 1978 prayer book. You know, it's still being tested. But they were already using it, and I loved the flow of the service. I loved what was going on up at the altar. They, their service was somewhat like the 1030 here with a, a priest, a deacon, and a subdeacon at the altar. And the solemnity of it all touched me. And then what really was sort of uh, uh, sealed the deal was what we in the pews did. Because unlike the congregational churches I had been in and other churches I had been in in the past, we did stuff. You know, the priest says something and we respond, the Lord be with you and also with you. And then after the, uh, after the sermon, we would hear the Nicene Creed. And other, we'd participate in the prayers of the people. And then with our bodies, we'd get up. And with our wills, we would say, I want to come meet you, Jesus. And we wouldn't wait for somebody to bring us bread and wine. We'd get up and we'd walk to Jesus. I want to meet you here as you are in the bread and the wine. Well, as I got more involved in the church, I started working with uh, the youth group. And there was this... Very nice young boy, Michael. I think his last name was Haber, Michael Haber. Michael was a high school kid, very earnest about his Christian faith. Uh, but as I got to know Michael, it became clear to me that Michael wasn't so sold on liturgical worship. And Michael, uh, Michael's objection was really that he thought maybe this liturgical worship was running afoul of Jesus' admonition that when we pray, we shouldn't pray like the Gentiles heaping up empty phrases. And Michael's thought was, 
You know, we do the same thing every week, and after a while it becomes rote and empty phrases. Well, unfortunately, I was a new Christian. I didn't have much of a handle at all on what's going on in this wonderful Holy Eucharist service, so I couldn't explain it to Michael at the time, and I don't know what's become of him. But over the years, I hope I've got some understanding, and some of you may have Michael's questions. Some of you may have other questions. You know, why do we do this? Uh, is this some sort of ceremonial idolatry? Is it heaping up empty phrases? So I hope I can help as part of this series that Father Tim has put together, at least help you all have some sense of what's going on uh, in that part of the service that Father Tim has very aptly named family business. I like that, family business, because he's asked me to talk tonight about the prayers of the people, the confession, the peace, and the announcements. And as I start, I want to just talk for a moment about the context. You know, it's interesting. We haven't done any of that tonight, so we're talking about what's coming. Uh, and the context, of course, is that, as uh, Father Ray said two weeks ago, I was able to listen to his sermon on the web, and we start at the beginning of the service and we enter into God's presence. That God who in Isaiah 6 is praised as holy, holy, holy Lord God of hosts. And we come into his presence to worship. And then the word is proclaimed. And then after the word is proclaimed, the word is explained. And then after we've heard the word proclaimed and explained, then we affirm our faith. So that's the context as we're moving. And every, every movement we make in this service is part of the whole as we're moving from the ministry of the word to the point where we come to the table and meet our Lord in the bread and the wine. So the first thing we do after we've heard the word, after we've affirmed our faith, is we do something. We do something affirmatively. We exercise you and I exercise our priesthood. Now, do you think you heard me wrong? Our priesthood? Father Tim and I, we are presbyters. When we were ordained, we got certificates, licenses, and we are ordained as presbyters. It doesn't say priest on mine. Does it on yours, Father Tim? No, we're presbyters, which is the New Testament word for elders. But we all are priests. As Peter says in this wonderful passage, he says that we are built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And then he says later, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Well, what do priests do? What do priests do? What did our great high priest Jesus do? First, he offered himself as a sacrifice. A priest offers sacrifices. And Paul says in Romans 12 that we are to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. That's part of our priestly ministry for all the priesthood, of the priesthood of all believers. And then Peter says here, uh, similar language, he says that we are, I keep losing my place, sorry. Uh, he says that we are built up as a spiritual 
house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. And one of our spiritual sacrifices, which our great high priest is doing right now, is to intercede, is to intercede for the world, for the church, for the nation, for our family, for our friends, for this community, for our local uh, communities, and for this body right here, Christ Church, Christ the Redeemer. Uh, and Jesus, the great high priest, after he ascended, intercedes from us, for us, on the right hand of God. So we're called in our priesthood to intercede, so we come to the prayers of the people. What does it look like to intercede? I think the gospel story today is a wonderful picture of an enacted intercession. This fellow is paralyzed, and he has these friends, and his friends love him. And his friends want nothing more than that he would be healed. And they hear that Jesus is in town. And they hear that this Jesus heals people. And so they decide to pick him up on their litter and take him to Jesus. And when they get there, they find that there's already a line. The place is packed. Can't get in. But nothing's going to stop these fellows from taking their friend to Jesus for healing. So they carry him up on the roof. I mean, do you ever close your eyes and envision this scene? They carry their friend up on the roof. And then, like in the cartoons when we were kids, they get out the saw and they start cutting a hole in the roof so that they can let their friend down. And they let him down at the foot of Jesus. And then they don't have to say anything else. And what does Jesus do? heals the man. He heals him on the spot. That's what our intercession is when we say the prayers of the people during the service. We bring the concerns of the world. We bring the concerns of the church. We bring our concerns for our loved ones. We bring our concerns for our nation. We bring our concerns for this community, for this parish. And we lift them up, and we bring them, and we put them at the feet of Jesus, and we say, Lord, hear our prayer. We're exercising our priestly ministry. We're doing the work, liturgy, the work of the people, the work of our priestly ministry when we participate in the prayers of the people. So then after the prayers of the people, we move to the confession. And what we see is we're beginning to transition from this time of the ministry of the Word to the Holy Communion. Transitioning to the time when we're going to go up and meet our Lord in the bread and the wine. Now what do we have to do when we're going up to meet our Lord? That one that the Bible says is holy, holy, holy. We need to prepare, don't we? We need to prepare. I don't know if any of you have been watching this BBC series, Downton Abbey. I'm totally taken by it. It's a, about an aristocratic family in England at the turn of the century. And 
I don't know what they do all day. Maybe they write a couple of letters and they go out and walk the dog and take a ride on the horses or something. But then they come back and it's dinner time. And even if it's only the family, they have their maids and their uh, valets, the valet as they call them, help them get dressed for dinner. Because when you go to dinner with someone, when we go to dinner with someone, we want to be suitable. We want to be presentable. Thank you, Kurt. Bless you, my brother. We want to be presentable because we're sharing an intimate meal with them. And so when we come to the table with our Father, with our Lord Jesus in the bread and the wine, we need to prepare. We need to be made suitable. Now, in the case with our Lord Jesus Christ, we can't put on a suit of clothes that's going to make us suitable. No matter how much we take the shower and wash everything off, we're still not suitable for dinner with our Lord, for communion with our Lord. But what we do need to do and what all we need to do is to come clean with him. Uh, I'm involved in a church plant in Lexington, and we were meeting last Wednesday night, small group, and we were talking, what are some of the things that keep us at a distance from God? And one of the women in the group said, well, you know, I I'm ashamed of some of the things I've done, and so I, I want to keep a distance so he doesn't know. And then she made this most amazingly profound statement. As if God doesn't know what I've done. What we need to do when we come to dinner, when we come to the banquet that our Father has thrown for us, is we need to come clean. Father, I have sinned. You know it. I know it. And I've sinned against you. And I've done wrong. Please forgive me. And then, of course, he closed us with the blood of Christ. And we're suitable and presentable to come to the table with him. Now, our confession is called a general confession, and it's broad, isn't it? We confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we've done and by what we've left undone. We've not loved you with our whole heart. It covers the waterfront. But only to some degree, doesn't it? It covers the waterfront. But we also need to address with the Lord the things that we've done, the things that we've left undone, the ways we haven't loved him with our whole heart, the ways we haven't loved our neighbors as ourselves. And I love the tradition of this church is to leave a period of silence after the confession is bid. And in that time of silence, I always ask the Holy Spirit to bring before me, to my mind, the things that I've done and left undone. So that when I make that broad, general confession, I can know, and the Lord can know, that I'm including those in it with specificity. Some include those babies with specificity. And then, of course, comes the absolution. Most merciful God, Almighty God, have mercy upon you. Forgive you all your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
strengthening you in all goodness and the power of the Holy Spirit and keep you in eternal life. Do we need a priest to say we're forgiven? Do we need a priest to be forgiven? No. But isn't it wonderful that the church has given us people who can stand up and proclaim to us God's forgiveness? Speak it out into our hearts. You are forgiven. Well, we're almost there now. We've said our confession. We've been forgiven. We're almost ready to come to the banquet, but there's a peace left, isn't there? The peace. Now, I'd like to tell you, and I trust most of you probably know, what the peace is not. The peace is not halftime. The peace is not the seventh inning stretch. The peace is not the time to sing, Sweet Caroline. Good times never seem so good. If you've been to the Red Sox, you know they do that in the eighth inning. Right? That's not what the peace is about. Amen? <laughs> the peace, having made peace with God, then it's time to make peace with one another. Because in his death, Jesus had made each of us children of God. And when we come to communion, which is a sacrament of our unity with God and with our neighbor, we need to make peace with our neighbor. Jesus says in the Sermon of the Mount, when you come to the altar, if your brother has anything to do with you, stop right there, go back, and get straight with your brother. Sometimes we're a little perfunctory with the peace, but if you find someday that you're in church and the priest says, the peace of the Lord be with you, and you know that you're in broken fellowship with someone in this sanctuary, go to them. If you have to go out the door for a little while, go to them. And if somebody comes to you to apologize during the peace, you forgive them as Jesus has forgiven you. So the peace now is us coming into peace with our brothers and sisters in our family. And then, it's way better than Neil Diamond. Good times have never been so good. Good times are never so good as when we're in complete harmony with our Father and complete harmony with one another. So the peace of the Lord I just want to say one other thing about the pieces. It's also a wonderful blessing. You know, we live in a tough world. I don't know about you, but, you know, going to the office every day, driving to work, you can be insulted a million times in the traffic. And everybody's not always nice to us, and we don't always feel the love of God. But when someone says to me, the peace of the Lord be always with you, they're blessing me. They're asking that I would have that sense of the knowledge of the love of God, that sense of peace that passes all understanding, that sense of peace and knowledge that I am protected by God regardless of my circumstances. So in the peace, we are blessing as well. So now we're ready. We've said the prayers of the people. We have 
done our confession. We've made peace with our brothers and our sisters. And now as the hymn says, we can come with joy to meet our Lord, forgiven, loved, and free, in awe and wonder to recall his life laid down for each one of us. We come with Christians far and near to find as all are fed the new community of love in Christ's communion bread. I promise I won't go any farther. I don't want to steal anybody's thunder next week, Father Tim. <laughs> so we're ready to come to the altar. But then we have this little thing that could be in any one of four places, the announcements. And I'm only going to take a second on the announcements. And I particularly want to be careful because Father Tim probably has his own philosophy of what he wants to do with the announcements. But this church has also had a good tradition of not having a lot of announcements. Because remember, what we're doing is we're in the middle of this symphony. We're in the middle of this drama, this work of the people coming from entering into the presence of God, moving through the word, our confession, the peace, and moving towards the banquet. And if our announcements are too long, we'll lose the momentum we have. We'll lose our focus of where we've been and where we're going. But the announcements are a wonderful time to let us know those things that we need to be aware of, to pray about, to offer to God as we offer him this sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Things that the family needs to know about one another's circumstances that we can pray about. Well, I don't know where Mike Haber is today. Uh, and I'm sorry I wasn't able to help Mike better back in those days. But Mike was a little bit right to be concerned anyway that in our liturgy it could sometimes become heaping up empty phrases. Because we're familiar with the words and we do it week after week. But this is the work of the people that we're given to do. And we need to prepare each week before we come to do our work for the Lord, our work of priesthood. And then during the service, we need to stay engaged and prepare, as we say, our confession and the priest and the peace. And then we move into next week, and fortunately we get to do it tonight, the banquet that our Lord has set before us. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen.